The following sermon was recorded from the worship service of Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church. May God use the reading and preaching of His Word to accomplish His purposes in your life. Thanks for listening. Well, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it up to the book of 2 Peter. And we're going to be looking today at the final chapter of that book, 2 Peter chapter you know what it feels like to wait for something so long that it feels like it's never going to come? You know what that feels like, right? When you're a kid, maybe it was your birthday. Maybe it's Christmas. Maybe it's the end of the school year. You just can't wait for it to come. And it feels like it's never going to get there. As you get older, what you're waiting for changes. But we still get that feeling. Sometimes for me, it's just like lunch. Like, I can't wait. Is lunch ever going to get here? I'm hungry. But other times it's bigger things, like maybe you're looking ahead to a graduation date. Oftentimes, certainly by the time students are in high school, they know they're the class of whatever year and they can't wait for that year to come. Or maybe for you, it's your wedding. You're waiting for the birth of a child and and, and wanting that day to come. Or maybe you're looking ahead to the day of your retirement. In most of those cases, we have... Uh, like a time or a date in mind, right? We know when our birthday is. We know usually when lunch is going to be. We know when Christmas is. We know the date of our graduation, uh, potentially the date of our wedding. We have a due date if we're going to be having a baby. Maybe you have an idea of when you're going to be able to retire. All of these things. So we can even use countdowns to remind us, you know, uh, 12 more days, two more years, whatever it might be. We can count down to it. But the Bible makes clear that there is something that is yet to happen in the future, something that we are waiting for, something that we are longing for, but something that we can't really have a countdown to because we don't know when it's coming. And that is the return of Jesus. We're longing for it. And sometimes when you're longing for something and waiting for so long, you start to wonder, is it really ever going to happen? And if it is how should that affect the way that we live today? Well, that's what we're going to look at in 2 Peter chapter 3. We're in this Don't Miss This One series, going through some of the Bible's shortest books. And we've spent now three weeks in the New Testament book of 2 Peter, written by the Apostle Peter. We've said the summary of this book could be put this way. Be sure you know the truth in a world of false teaching and ungodly living. It's been a very helpful book. The first week we looked at two things we can be sure of that we can know two things we can know for sure one that that we are saved and two that the bible really is the word of god in week two we saw that while we can know for sure that the bible is the word of god we need to be careful recognizing that not everyone who says they're speaking for god is actually telling the truth and in fact some of them are sharing false destructive heresies Today we're going to look at chapter 3. Here's the big idea of chapter 3. Knowing that the day of Jesus' return is coming affects the way we live today. So, let's go ahead, open up your Bible. Uh, We're in 2 Peter chapter 3. It's 18 verses. We're going to get through all of it here this morning. 2 Peter chapter 3, looking at verses 1 and 2 first. Peter begins the last chapter. Of course, he didn't write chapters. He just wrote a letter. The chapters and verses were put in there later. 
but I think you do see kind of a conclusion beginning in the letter right about now, and here's what he writes. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Just a couple of things to note there in those first couple of verses. One is that Peter is acknowledging that this is the second letter. And of course, we have the other letter he's referring to as well, the letter called First Peter in our Bible. This is the second letter that he's writing to presumably the same audience as the first letter. And notice also that he calls them beloved. I'm not going to point it out every time we see it here in chapter 3, but we will see it many more times here in chapter 3. As Peter writes to these believers, he's writing to them as people who are loved by God and loved by him. And that's how he addresses them. And this time he says, I'm writing to you to kind of stir things up by way of reminder. Almost like I'm not telling you really anything you don't already know, anything you haven't heard. I'm just trying to remind you of things that you have heard through the holy prophets, referring to the Old Testament scriptures, and then also the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, referring, I think, to what are becoming at that time the New Testament scriptures, of which now Second Peter is also included. Let's go on to verses 3 and 4. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. He's warning them. There's going to be people that scoff, that think this is all just some big hoax, that you really believe that this Savior of yours who died and you say rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, you really believe that he's coming again? And they're scoffing, saying, look it, nothing changes ever. Things have continued on just the same. But scoffers would say, he warns them, Look around you, they might say. Nothing's changed, and Peter is going to remind them, though, of the facts. Let's look at verses 5 to 7. Verse 5 begins this way. (laughs) For they deliberately overlook this fact. Now Peter's going to share the facts. What are the facts? That the heavens existed long ago, And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. So Peter is taking them back. He's saying, you you believe that stuff is just going to kind of continue on forever the way it's always been? And he's going to give them two examples. He could give them many more of ways that God intervened in a major way in time and space. And the first he refers to from Genesis 1, he refers back to creation. Look at verse 6. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. What's he referring to there in verse 6? Well, he's referring back to 
the flood in the days of Noah from Genesis chapter 7. So these people that are saying, hey, stuff is never going to change. It just continues on and on and on. Don't be thinking that God's going to like intervene in our world by sending Jesus to return. That's not going to happen. And Peter says, well, the facts say otherwise. God's done this before, and he just gives two examples from Genesis 1 and Genesis 7. Creation and the flood. He could have given many more. But then he ends that section this way, verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. He's reminding them there is still this coming day where God will intervene in a pretty major way, bringing about destruction and judgment. So just because they haven't seen it happen yet in their day, and it might seem like, oh, it's never going to happen, that certainly doesn't change the fact that God has and God will intervene in our world to bring about his plans in his timing. We're going to talk about his timing here in just a moment. But first, a quick point of application. I just need to ask you this. Do you believe that a day of judgment is coming? I think many in our day would fit into this camp of scoffers. Many don't believe a day of judgment is coming. Do you? Or maybe you're one of the many who believe that maybe there will be some future day of judgment, but you're assuming that on that day, the judgment on you is going to be, well, you know, if we're grading on the curve, you're doing better than most people. At least you've tried really hard. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine four-year-old twin brothers who find the bag of chocolate chips in the cupboard. They open them up, and they just start eating after every bite, they kind of look around to make sure nobody's watching them. The boys eat to their heart's content, and because they're smart four-year-olds, they put the twisty tie back on the bag, put it in the cupboard. They're not caught. If they get away with this on Monday, guess what do you think? What do you think they'll be doing on Tuesday? Be right back there, won't they? I mean, the chocolate chips are making them happy. And there don't seem to be any consequences for eating them, so they're going to keep doing it. Are you living this way? Are you doing what you know is probably wrong, but it's satisfying, it's making you happy, and it doesn't seem to have any negative consequences, at least not right now? I think a lot of people are living this way, forgetting about the fact that there will be a future day of judgment tempting to live like the scoffers here in 2 Peter chapter 3, believing that Jesus isn't really coming back. A day of judgment is really not ever going to come. And the result is, well, then you can live however you want. And just be happy for now. But Peter is warning the church, and I will join him in warning the church. A day of judgment is coming. Okay. Like we said earlier, we've heard that. 
and God's people have been believing that ever since Jesus ascended into heaven. Many of them thought this was going to happen in their generation, and now here we are, centuries, even millennia later, and it still hasn't happened. Is it really going to happen? When's it going to happen? Let's look at verses 8 to 10. We're going to hear a bit about God's timing in these verses. First, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Just earlier we saw that some had deliberately overlooked the fact that God intervenes in the world and a day of judgment is coming. And now he's saying, I don't want you, church, to overlook this fact. That God's concept of time is different than your concept of time. His perspective on it is different. Why is that? Well, it's because God exists outside of time. Our God is eternal. He always has been and always will be. He's not bound by time, which is mind-blowing for us. And I'm not going to be able to explain that to you because I don't totally understand how that works. But we know that everything that we do, we're bound and limited by time in some way and space. And God stands outside of all of that and is not bound in the same way that we are. But Because he's outside of time, his perspective on time is different than ours. So in our concept of time, one day equals how many hours? 24, right? 24 hours in one day. And so a thousand years in our time, I did the math, actually I just Googled it. 1,000 years in our time is 8,760,000 hours. But from God's perspective, one day, 1,000 years, 24 hours, 8,760,000 hours, are roughly the same. Right? That's what it's saying here in verse 8. Have you ever traveled with kids? You, you can let them know ahead of time that the trip to grandma's house takes five hours, but five minutes into the trip, they're wondering if you're there yet. Kids uh, have a tough time with perspective when it comes to time. Hours, let alone days, are really hard concepts for young children to grasp. And we get that more as adults. And when it comes to our conception of time, we're a little more like kids who have no concept of time compared to how God would look at things. Like when the Pevensies come stumbling out of the wardrobe after spending years in Narnia only to find that no time at all has passed in the world on this side of the wardrobe. Verse 8, but do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And let's look at verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 will be our memory verse for this week. If you haven't memorized this verse yet, I would encourage you to do it. Here's what verse 9 says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be 
exposed. So what might seem like slowness to fulfill his promise to us is not actually slow, it's patience. There's a difference between being slow and being patient. When Jesus comes, he will bring judgment. Read Revelation chapter 19. See the language in verse 10 even there about burning up, passing away, dissolving, exposing. This is what what happens when Jesus comes again. Those who do not worship him as Lord will perish. Yet he has not come yet. Why? I think his desire is clear there in verse 9. His desire is that all should reach repentance. That is a turning around. If you go back to those four-year-old twin brothers sneaking the chocolate chips, kind of like Dad knew all along, but he refrained from immediately punishing them and instead gave them time to repent. Oh, what a gracious God we have, don't we? There are billions, billions of people in this world who are dead in their sin, worshiping idols and false gods. Some trying hard to be good, some not trying very hard at all, but billions who do not submit to Jesus as Lord. And if Jesus came back now, they would perish. The Bible makes that clear. So what does that mean for us? Here's where some application comes in. Three possibilities, I think. One, maybe it means you need to go to an unreached people group. Maybe you need to go to an unreached people group. According to the Joshua Project, about 42% of the world's population, or 3.23 billion people, live in what is called an unreached people group. That is, there are somewhere between zero and only a few evangelical Christians who would teach that the Bible is the Word of God and that Jesus is the only way to be saved. And so 42% of the world's population lives in a place where they have no access to anybody who believes that and could tell that news to them. Little or no history of Christianity, meaning little or no opportunity to hear the gospel unless someone from outside comes in. Maybe God is calling you to do just that while you wait for Jesus to return. Maybe it means that you pray more fervently for unreached peoples and those ministering to them. We've occasionally done this together as a family. There's a little book for kids called Window on the World. Great book. I encourage you to check that out. If you have kids at home, Window on the World put out by Operation World. Also, you could go to Operation World website, and uh, they have some great resources for prayer there. I just downloaded something from the Joshua Project, and a free app on my phone this week that has an unreached people group of the day. Just giving you a little bit of information so you know how to pray for an unreached people group that day. You can pray that God would send out laborers into the harvest. So maybe it means you go, maybe it means you pray, and thirdly, maybe it means you just share the gospel with someone you know right here this week. And one of the privileges of my job as a pastor is my responsibility to visit the sick. I really do see this as a great privilege. Often I go trying to be an encouragement to them and come away doubly blessed. 
people who are facing the very real possibility of their life on earth ending sometime soon have a great, often new perspective given to them by God. Most of you know Amber Barrett. She told me I could tell a bit of her story. One year ago this week, one year ago this week, just days after she and Ryan celebrated their second wedding anniversary, at the age of 29, Amber was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. She spent many nights over the past year in the hospital. Sometimes Ryan could stay with her at the beginning and now lately hasn't been able to do that. She's back at home now. She's been in Ames at the hospital. She's been up at Mayo in the hospital. She received a bone marrow transplant, but not too long after found out that her body uh, is still producing some of those cancerous cells. When I visited with her a little over a week ago, I asked her, asked her about what God is teaching her about her plans and his purposes. She told me that one of his purposes is to make her bolder in evangelism. And I've seen it. Whether it's through what she writes on Facebook, through selling the t-shirts that she's now designing, or conversations that she's had with medical personnel, with family, with friends, with neighbors, Amber has become more bold in telling people the good news about Jesus. Why is that? Well, I think when we realize that things are not going to just continue as they always have, we get a sense of urgency. God has given that to Amber. She's an example to all of us. We don't know, do we, what diagnosis might lay ahead of us? We don't know if we'll die before Jesus returns. We don't know what day that's going to happen. And so what we do know is that now is the time for evangelism. Jesus is coming back. It's all in God's timing. He's patiently giving a chance for many to repent. And so what effect should all of this have in addition to us evangelizing. What else? What other effects might this have on us? I think that's what we see in the closing verses of this letter. So let's go ahead and look. Starting at verse 11. I'll just call this last section, How to Live While We Wait. Verse 11 says this. Since, okay, referring us back to everything that we just heard about, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? In lives of Holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. He mentions a lot of things just in those first couple of verses there. Holiness and godliness. Those who have been saved will spend the rest of their days until Jesus returns living unlike the way that they used to live and unlike the rest of the world around them, living lives of holiness and godliness, living in a distinct way. And he also says there, is it verse 11 or 12? Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. Waiting is going to be a theme here at the end of the book. We're going to see it here in verse 12, then again in verse 13, then again in verse 14. Waiting. We're waiting. It's not like we're not doing anything while we wait. We're waiting and Hastening. Hastening means kind of working to bring it about. Now you say, well, how, how, am I supposed to do something to kind of like bring about the return of Jesus? 
God has purposes to be fulfilled, and his plan is for these purposes to be fulfilled by the work of his people. Before Jesus returned, part of God's plan is that his people would be doing the evangelization of lost people, that we would be praying for laborers, that prior to the coming day when much of what we currently know will burn, dissolve, and melt, we are to be busy doing some things. This is how we wait for and hasten the coming of the day of God. Let's go ahead and flip over to verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is, this is what we're not just waiting for a coming day of destruction. We're waiting for something with great hope. What is it that we're waiting for? We are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is what we long for, wait for, hope for. The new heavens and the new earth, because our world today is filled with news of unrighteousness. But this is not how it will be in the new heavens and the new earth. In which righteousness dwells. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at Because we're waiting for God's judgment and also for God to come to establish the new heavens and the new earth, we should be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Again, living holy lives, not getting caught with our hand in the chocolate chip bag. We could ask ourselves the question as we go about our daily life, is this what I want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Okay, being caught doing this? diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace (laughs) i like that because it doesn't seem like we're living at a time where we feel like there's a lot of peace but when we know how things will end we can live at peace with god and others when we know that god will one day bring justice we're okay forgiving others when we're wronged and we live at peace with one another quick point of application before I just finish out these final verses, and that is this. If you know that the house on the old farm site is scheduled to be burned on Tuesday, you don't go in on Monday and decorate the walls and stuff your money under the mattress. If you know the tide is low and it's soon going to be coming in, you don't build a sandcastle right on the shoreline. The time that we live in in history and the nation that we live in right now gives us all sorts of opportunities to amass great material wealth. We can own a house or more than one. We can own a car or more than one. We have tools. We have equipment. We can have some money invested for the future. We can really easily get sucked into feeling like we need more. But what if we believe the truth revealed in these verses, knowing that all of these things are temporary and will one day burn, melt, or dissolve? What would it look like for us to treasure less the things of this earth, the things that moth and rust destroy and thieves can break in and steal 
What if instead we focused our lives more and more on eternal things, storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal? This is what Jesus calls us to. Let's get back to verses 15 to 16, and then we'll close with 17 and 18. 15 says this, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Remember, it's for our good that Jesus is going to return. Right? Verse 15, this, this patience, the fact that it hasn't come yet, it's for our salvation. And then he has this kind of interesting comment about our brother Paul. You know Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Some of them are challenging, right? Have you read through Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians? There's some challenging stuff in there. And Peter's with us on it. He knows that, interestingly, note this, he's referring to Paul's writing as scriptures, right? Paul's writing, Peter's referring to it as scripture. See that there in verse 16? People are twisting what Paul wrote in his letters as they do the other scriptures, right? But, but he's acknowledging some of it's really hard to understand. And the result is some people are twisting it and messing it all up. So what should we do in light of that? Here's how he closes, verses 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Be careful. Stay grounded. So you don't lose your own stability. So you don't get quickly knocked over. Are we doing this in a world where it's hard to know who and what to believe? Are we, are we grounded? Are we stable? Standing on the trustworthiness of God's word? Verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love this ending. In a world full of false teaching and ungodly living, when it's not possible to always perfectly discern what's the truth and what's a lie, what's true, what's not, what can we believe, what should we not believe, here's what we can and should continue to do. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just grow. It's he, listen to what it says at the end, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So church, in a world where there's a lot of confusion, and we're not always sure what to believe, even ourselves, let's be sure that we know the truth about Jesus we know that we're saved, that we know that the Scripture is God's Word, that we know that people are going to try and twist stuff. We would ask God for help to make us discerning, and that we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that things will not continue forever as the way they always have been because we know for sure that Jesus is coming. 
the fact that he hasn't come yet is not evidence of his slowness to fulfill his promise, but it's evidence of his patience as he desires all men to be saved, to turn to him, to repent, to turn away from sin and trust in him. So let's let's, let's let that affect the way that we live throughout this week. Let's pray. Father, I just confess that it gets really easy for me to just kind of live with tunnel vision. I've got a list of things I need to, places I need to be, people I need to be with, things I need to get done during a week. And I make that list every week. And I feel better if I get it done and not as good if I don't get it done. But God, help me to be more aware of eternal things, of the opportunities that you give me for evangelism that I've been missing. Help me to live the kind of life, a life of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening, that I would think more often of the reality, the good news that Jesus really is coming again, that that would affect the way that I interact with others. That would affect the way, we all need help with this, the way that we live. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Second Peter. Thank you for Paul's letters that Peter acknowledged are sometimes hard to understand. Now, as we go out into life in the world this week, whatever part of the world we go into, I pray that you'd help us to shine the light of Christ into all sorts of dark places for the sake of your name, because to you belong glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church. More information about Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church can be found at our website, www.ifefree.org, or you can call the church office at 641-648-3305. That's www.ifefree.org or 641-648-3305.